Thank you again for listening to our podcast today. Thank you so much for your support. We worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. here at St. John's Lutheran Church in the heart of downtown Martinsburg, West Virginia. Know that you're always welcome to our table and to our worship. God bless. And we hope you enjoy today's message. You ought to imagine a courtroom. The prosecuting attorney is God. The judge is God. Doesn't seem like a fair fight, but yet this is the courtroom that God has given to us. The defendant is the entire kingdom of Israel right before the fall and that sell by the Babylonians. Your chances of winning the argument are incredibly small. There are actually no chance of you winning this argument. The state has some pretty good evidence against you and in some ways has already delivered a verdict before you could plead your case. Last Sunday in Jeremiah 1, you all heard Jeremiah's beautiful divine call to be a prophet and his ministerial task to both uproot and to build. The question theologically, how do you uproot an entire population of people who are set in their ways, who see no need to repent for what they have done, and do all this work in a caring, loving fashion in light of God's faithfulness and covenant to the people? And when I was taught the, the prophets in seminary, Dr. Shram told us, when the prophet comes on scene, it's already too late. It's important to remember this fact when you read these texts. The prophet is telling the people it's already too late. You can't go back. You messed up way too big. But God will be with you. Last week we heard the beginning of Jeremiah, a beautiful message. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. It is a beautiful message that poets have used over the centuries to write hymns about, that theologians have used to talk about God's faithfulness. But even these beautiful words, we must remember that Jeremiah's calling as a prophet is not merely to preach hope to the people, but also to reflect on how the people find themselves in such terrible, in such a terrible political situation. And the people of the nation of Israel are in a bad spot. The kings of Israel have made foolish decisions causing the nation of Israel to lose politically and spiritually. The kings are morons, and it's been a downward spiral ever since King David. But the kings are not the only foolish ones in the land. The people are also morons and have forgotten their history. The prophet declares, I brought you into a land, into a plentiful land to eat its fruits and its good things. But when you entered You defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. In the 21st century, we try to slide away from these words in worship, these texts in worship, unless we want to use them to condemn somebody else, right? Those people over there that we don't like. Our worship experience has to be positive. Pastor, I want to feel good when I leave this church. And some of that is true. At Lutherans, we believe in law and gospel. If you get stuck in the law and do not give people the gospel, then you leave the people wallowing in their sins, and that's not, that's not good theology. It's pretty bad. That's bad theology. But suffering is not absent from the Christian experience. In, in Romans Saint 5, St. Saint Paul says, We also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us. Therefore, if you expect the pastor to stand up here every week and be a motivational speaker, you're going to be disappointed, right? 
You'll be disappointed when a loved one of yours dies. And the pastor has to stand up here and admit that there's nothing more that we can do. The marathon is over. And we must commend the care of our beloved into the hands of God. If you expect the pastor, if you expect the church to always make you feel good, the devil will see this as a prime opportunity to go after your fragile faith and shake you to the core. The words that Jeremiah spoke need to be heard even today. So that they can remind us that we're not perfect. That we do not always put God first. We do not respect all that God has given us charge over. We disrespect the land. We abuse the poor and outcasts. We place our desires above that of God. We are not a perfect people. And we are driven here each and every week to stand before the altar of the Lord with those sins of our past front and center to confess them to the Lord and then beg for forgiveness. If the church was set up like a courtroom, we would be tried, convicted, and sentenced before we ever set foot in this place. Yet our God has offered us a pardon regardless of worthiness. So I'd like us to look at the words of Jeremiah that say and reflect on how we continue to act in the ways that are contrary to the ways of God. The overarching conviction of the prophet is that the people have broken the first commandment. They no longer put God first. The other prophets in the land, apparently being a prophet was a paid gig back in the day, so you can make a whole career path of just being annoying, which sounds kind of fun to me. (laughs) These other prophets... They weren't consulting the God of Israel. They weren't consulting Yahweh. They were consulting Baal, who was a Canaanite God. And if you remember your early Hebrew Bible history, Canaanites, not very good people. Not very good people at all. The Leviathan, do you all remember the Leviathan in the Psalms? The Leviathan is this mystical sea creature. It's a Canaanite sea creature. And yet in the Psalms, God is so powerful that he considers the Leviathan to be like a pet dog. Like this is... Canaanite gods aren't very powerful at all. Even their monsters aren't very scary when you compare it to God. But yet these prophets, they're not going to the God of Israel. They're going to Baal. They're going to the Canaanite gods. God says, my people have changed their glory for something that does not profit. God lays out a powerful argument against the people as to their transgressors. God traces God's faithfulness back to the days when God led the people from Egypt, out of Egypt, and into the land that they are now. And yet, even though God has been faithful, the people have not been faithful. And their foolishness has put them in the situation where everything God has given to them is about to be taken away. That leads God to conclude the argument by saying, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, or they have forgotten me. And they dug out cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that can hold no water. In other words, they put their trust in other gods who cannot keep them safe, who cannot give them the water that they need for life. So I want us to reflect on three questions this day, maybe throughout the week. What gets in our way of living into God's dreams of creation? Where have we as a church exchanged our living God for no God? Where we turned our backs on God's long-standing faithfulness? In terms of the first question, we have, looked, we have to look at this text and see that God has, has this picture of Israel being in a relationship with God. And not just any old-fashioned relationship, but a marital relationship. In verse 2, the, it wasn't included in the election for some reason. It says, God, God says, I remember the devotion of your youth. 
your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. God sees God's relationship with the people of Israel as a spouse, but the spouse has cheated on the other, and that relationship is endangered. How have we cheated on God? How do we continue to cheat on God? As I think about this answer, I think about how we sometimes give people a false sense of hope. We say things like, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. I saw that on Facebook again and again. Stop saying that kind of stuff, my brothers and sisters. Bad things happen all the time to good people. Suffering is not absent from the Christian life. The truth is people are dealing with more they can handle all over the world. That's why we need God. Yet we turn away and put our trust in cisterns that cannot hold the water we need to survive. With the second question, I am drawn to thinking about how we, as a church, have been craving, caving to the needs of our consumer culture. We're so afraid of losing people that we refuse to stand on the side of the last, lost, least, little, and lifeless. We try to make worship fun, entertaining, instead of relational, as God intended God's relationship to be with the people. God wants us to be in relationship with, God's, with God and with each other, not come week after week just so you can be entertained for an hour. Instead of going after the living God, we have turned to the God of entertainment and cheap thrills more times than we care to admit. And I am chief of this sinner. Chief of this sin. And that leads to the last question. We put our trust in in humans, in programs, in a building to save us. Instead of trusting in the God who, who led the people from slavery to freedom. From death to life, we put our trust in people that disappoint, in things that do not bring us life, in things that crumble over time. God is faithful. And even though God has convicted us, the overall theme of Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, is that God will not destroy the people. In Jeremiah 5, verse 18, the prophet says, Yet even in those days, declares the Lord, I won't completely destroy you. We have a lot to be thankful for. We also have a lot to repent for. But our God is not out to condemn us. Our God is not out for blood. And the suffering that we sometimes find ourselves in is not God's way of punishing you. Our God wants to be in a relationship with you. Our God wants to lead you to pathways of life and salvation. These divine accusations are not averred in order to send the people into an emotional land of guilt and shame. Instead, it is meant to change their behavior. The people of God are called to repent and to turn back to the living God. So let these words of Jeremiah sting a bit today. Let them penetrate your heart, but do not respond with anger, with loathing, or even denial. Respond by standing before the Lord and beg for forgiveness. Stand before the Lord and make a change in your life and see that the God who has been faithful will continue to be faithful to you. Your children and all the generations that are still to come after you, and that God will never leave you.